The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I know (laughs) it's it's a wild guess. But I have a feeling that at least some of you are sick and tired of me talking about the election. And you know what? I'm sick and tired of it, too. Um, It is what it is. (laughs) Of course, as you know, I'm happy how it turned out. Um, Let's just not get into all that again. Um, You know, hopefully it's it's, things are beginning to calm down, I hope. Um, And so I thought it was time for something to be a little more enlightening, a little more uplifting, um, especially now that we're approaching the holidays. So I have a beautiful, wonderful story for you. Well, actually, it's not my personal story. It's the story of my guest, Philip Klaus. But it is a very inspirational story, and it's exactly what we all need now um, to move from the contentiousness of the election to preparing for the holidays and looking forward to a more positive future. So, Philip Klaus is the author of a new book called Blood Ties. And, um, you know, this around the holidays, people tend to get very nostalgic. And for some people, that's, you know, a warm, fuzzy feeling. And for other people, it can make them really sad, uh, especially if they're feeling as though things today aren't as good as they remember them as being. Uh, of course, we all, you know, we remember childhood and us getting presents and all that as being a lot easier and more fun <laughs> than um, when we're the adults and we have to do all the providing and preparing and somehow getting all this done along with uh, all the other work and stuff that we were doing before the holidays. But um, so this is a perfect story for that reason as well, because um, indeed for Philip Klaus, um, his new book and his life (laughs) has been all about returning to his roots, not just to nostalgic Christmases past, but to finding out his own identity. So, Philip, (laughs) uh, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, um, I think instead of my starting to try to, to give an introduction to your, sto- to your story, um, why don't I let you do this? Okay. Well, you know, my, my story started in 1940. That was a long time ago. And, and my mother and father, I found out later, were not married. They were 
just recently graduating from uh, Washington State University, and my father was still going to graduate school. So when my mother found out she was pregnant with me, she was terrified because she wasn't ready to have a child. She had no money, and the stigma of being pregnant and not being married in 1940 was, was overwhelming to her. So what she did was she made an escape. Well, I, I, I say an escape. She left without telling anybody why, uh, and she was beginning to show and so she left the state of Washington and, and went to Portland, Oregon, and, um, and waited there for three months until I was ready to be born. And she told nobody. She didn't tell her parents. She didn't tell her, brothers, her brother and sisters. And she told none of her friends. And so she was um, all alone in Portland for three months, and the only person that knew her dilemma was um, who, who was to be my father. And, um, and so, anyway, when I was born, why... Wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. So where did your mother tell her parents that she was? Did she tell see, them... Um, that I do not know, because, see, when I eventually found my mother, and I guess I'm giving my story away, <laughs> she was almost 95, uh-huh. And and we weren't sure what her mental condition was in terms of me reappearing in her life. Uh-huh. And so we were very structured and careful uh-huh. in, in what questions we posed to her. And so um, that's one question we didn't get into because she was traumatized. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that as we, as well, we yes. go on well, here. Let's let's just back up a little bit. Okay. Um, so 1940. I want to clarify something. So 1940. You were saying that's where it begins. That's where when you were born. Uh huh. Um, so okay. But before before all this, um, when you were growing up, um, I guess before we find out, you know what the what the secrets were about your mother and father. Tell us as an adult. Tell us about how. Um, well, first of all, tell us about actually when you were a child and your and your adoptive parents first first told you you were adopted. What was that like? Well, I was very young when I was told I was adopted, and I had an adopted sister who was two and a half years older than I. Mm-hmm. And and anyway, being a, a little kid, it had no effect on me. I thought, well, that's great, you know. And and so back in my tricycle days, uh, being adopted had no effect on me. But as I, as I got into elementary school and, and, and I began to think about things and I began to observe all my friends who were not adopted, I began to wonder what, what all this was about. And so one day my sister and I asked my father questions about our biological parents. And we very quickly discovered that that was a subject not ever to be discussed. And I think it was because they were um, insecure about uh, being uh, adoptive parents and fearing that we might seek out our biological parents. 
and and forsake them. And, and of course, that was not the case. We, I had the greatest uh, adoptive parents a, a guy could ever ask for, and they they were they treated me royally uh, all my life. And and one of the one of the pluses is having a dad that owned an ice cream store, which is neither here nor there. But that was I thought that oh, was well. kind of cool. <laughs> and and um and, and so anyway, we we were told under no uncertain terms were we ever to discuss our biological uh in origins. And so my sister and I never tried again fearing we would hurt our parents' feelings. And my sister tried to snoop a little bit, and and uh, she didn't find much. But uh, that's how I learned that my parents were college graduates and where they went to school. But that's all I ever knew about them, and uh, and and I was never told anything. We had no names, and and no professions or where they lived. You know, as I got older, and so I was totally um, isolated from my origins. And my roots, and 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 so really, what happened to me was when my mother left me behind, in in the hospital where I was born, she walked out the door with everything, I I was to ever learn about myself and couldn't. I had no medical knowledge. I had no idea uh, what my biological roots were in terms of of uh, country of origin, and and. Um, so that's what I grew up with. I was a happy kid, but but it was hard not knowing who I was. And and interestingly enough, Dr. Carroll, I I found out as as I got older that in talking with other uh kids in my situation that were given up for adoption that we all thought about the same things. And, and so I, I had some security in knowing I wasn't alone and wanting to know where I came from and who I was. So anyway, um, uh, my childhood was great. And, and uh, my, my parents, uh, you know, they weren't wealthy, but, but I never wanted for anything. And, and, um, and so I got, I got through my... Um, my school years, grade school and middle school and high school. But the further along I got, the more desperate I was to find anything out. And so secretly, I uh, went behind my parents' back and, and sought out through the state of Oregon uh, any information I could find about my birth certificate, my, my original birth certificate. And I found out that um, that that was off limits. I was told I'll never forget the words that she used. She says that is strictly forbidden, and and the only person that can access your uh, biological birth certificate is an attorney or a judge. And so um, I, I learned uh, the hard way that there was no way I was going to find out the names of my mother and father, at least not for a long while. So um, This was when you were how old? that you? Well, went? that was when I was in high school. Uh-huh. And, and so I was old enough to, to uh, start thinking about things. And one of the other things, Dr. Carroll, is that 
I would lie in bed at night. Our house was about a half a mile from a railroad track. We lived in the city, and and uh, and anyway, I would lie in bed at night, and with with the window open in the summertime, I would hear a train in the background, and and I would always wonder if my mother might be on that train going mm-hmm. through the town I lived in and, and mm-hmm. not know it. And so I, I played head trips with my situation. Uh, she was really an enigma for me, and, and, um, and yet I knew nothing. I knew nothing. I was all alone with, with that, those thoughts. And, and so um, I had friends that found out I was adopted, and, and they said, well, let me try. We're interested in and doing uh, gener- you know, genetic research, and so they tried. And they all were faced with the same um, obstacles that I was, and they found out that uh, my information was not accessible. And, and the reason it wasn't was because the state of Oregon had a law, like every state in the country except for six states out of 50. Of course, way back then it was 48. But um, only six states had laws that would allow an adoptee access to their birth records. And Oregon was one that would not allow it. And so um, I I gave up. I figured there's no way I'll ever find my mother and father. And the other thing I realized... Wait, let let me ask you. Um, Now, when you first brought it up to your adoptive parents... Uh Uh-huh. Um, did you bring it up to both of them at the same time, no. or, or one of them? Just my father. Just your father. Yeah, and of, okay. course, and of course, you know, I know my father went to tell my mother later. Yeah, yeah. And our conversation was only with my, my with my father. Yeah. Well, did did he tell you, or did you know? Uh, was it a matter of your parents knowing that? Did they know the information, and they just weren't telling you, or even they didn't know? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. I, you know, they they knew that that my bi- biological parents uh, went to Washington State, and they were residents of Washington. And and uh, and beyond that, I'm not sure how much more they knew. And they were, excuse me, they weren't willing to talk about it. So um, I don't know. And and um, during during my my adoptive father's last day with me before he passed away, he lived in California during the last 20 years of his life, and I was down to visit him. And one day he sat out on the patio with me for two hours, and he told me his whole life story, something he'd never revealed to me. They were very mm-hmm. private about those kinds of things. And and he was not willing, even then. And my uh, I was I was fifty then. He was not willing to reveal any of my history. I mean, mm. that was still very, very. Uh, he was very protective of that information. Mm. And so I think he was still afraid that we might uh, choose them over him and my adoptive mother, who were great. They were the best parents ever. They had no reason to fear, but that was their feelings. You know, they were very conservative. Well, were your parents still together at that time? Oh, yeah. In California? And how old were they? My my mother uh, died of cancer when I was 28. She was 68. 
they adopted me. Uh, my mom was 37, and my dad was almost 40. So they were, you know, they were halfway through life, you know, a normal life. And, and so I had older parents. But, you know, back in those days, I had a lot of friends who had older parents as well. So I thought nothing of it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but anyway, uh, I lost my mother I mean, when I was kind very of, young. But my father lived until he was 94. And um, I, I guess I was, I can't remember, what is it, 74 Sixty-four. I think I was uh, sixty, fifty, high, eight, late fifties when he passed away. So, but, but, um, kind of jumping around a little bit, I kind of respected their feelings. So I didn't try anything uh, while they were still al- while he was still alive. But after he passed away, I thought, okay, now's my chance. But I didn't mm. know what to do. And and strangely enough, Dr. Carroll, I, I felt like my story was, was saturated with, with unexplainable miracles. One of them was I, was, I was reading the paper one morning. I'm an early riser, so I read the paper at 6 in the morning. And I'm, I never read the political news. I live in the capital city of Oregon, Salem. And, and for that reason, we're saturated with p- political news. And so I grew to, to hate that stuff. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I don't know why, but one morning I happened to read the political section of the paper. Ah, and we'll leave it at that because I hear the music telling us it's oh. time for a break. Oh, already? And we'll leave oh. it on a cliffhanger. <laughs> I've already started. Okay. <laughs> My guest is Philip Klaus. His book is called Blood Ties, and we're tracing his his family tree, um, and it, as you're beginning to hear, this is a rather inspirational story for all of us. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5787. 
5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with my guest, Philip Klaus, whose new book is called Blood Ties. Um, he's telling the story of tracing uh, his tracing his identity, really, um, since he was adopted when he was five days old and um, re- tried to respect his adoptive parents' wishes. Um, and so many adoptive parents feel the same way, that they're afraid uh, that if the, if the child finds their biological parents, that they'll prefer them and leave the adoptive parents and, you know, all of that. It's, it's a common fear, but it's, it's kind of sad that, I mean, at some point... <laughs> Um, you know, it's certainly important and, and understandable that an adoptive child would want to know who their biological parents are for, for identity reasons, for medical reasons, and so on. So, um, Philip was in the process of telling us um, about, <laughs> about one of the uh, serendipitous things that happened on his long and windy path to try to find what, once his both of his adoptive parents were dead, his path to try to find who his biological parents were. So take it from there. Okay, well, anyway, the article in the newspaper that morning was a story about a law they passed in the state legislature the day before uh, giving adoptees like me the right to access their birth certificates. So... uh, uh, I waited till eight o'clock in the morning and, and, and wrote my letter and put it in the mail, and I and I had the names of my my biological mother and father within a week of that newspaper article. Hmm. And I and thought, so wait, man, so now, this, so, so the, wait, just to, to, so you were how old at this point? I was I was married by now, but I got married when I was twenty one, so I was early twenties by then. Okay. Okay. And and so then what I did was I I um, I had the names of my of my mother and father and then I wanted to know what the heck do I do with those names? Yeah. And and so um, the next thing I did was I I went to a um, a uh, a uh, department of the state of Oregon that's a genealogy department. And they hired, um, well, they didn't hire, they uh, had uh, volunteers uh, there to help people like me find their parents, you know, hmm. uh, biological parents. So I went in there, and, uh, and, and I walked in the door, and I said, does anybody in here uh, uh, think they can find my mother and father? And they said, sure, step right up. And so anyway... It didn't take more than about a half an hour to find my father. And what we did was we um, accessed the medical records, or, or I mean the military records, because uh, at the time I was born, you know, that was the beginning of World War II. Uh-huh. And we assumed my father would enlist, at least it was worth a try. Well, he did. And, um, and the way I found my father was to find his gravesite among 21,000 other of his comrades in a military cemetery in Manila, the Philippines. What? So that was you traumatic went... for me. Traumatic. Well, you went to, to Manila because one, you mean, once they could tell you something about his military records and where he was buried, 
um, then you went to Manila to find out more details? I haven't yet, and and um, and, uh, and that's another story. But but <laughs> I'm not there yet. But okay, but anyway, okay. what I did was um, so I figured I figured I know where my dad is. I mean, I'm not going to ever get to meet him, but at least I knew where he was. And and he died at age 27. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah. in the war? Yeah. And, huh. and, and my mother was 28. And so then I asked that, um, that um, the woman that was helping me to see if she could find my mother. Mm-hmm. But that's tough because we didn't know what her name would be. You know, this was 50 years later, 40 years later, and we had no idea what she would change her name to. And, and so we tried... You know, her grade school, and we didn't really know where she was born, and we tried her college, and that's private information. You can't access that. Ah. So we tried we tried all the resources we could think of, and they were all dead ends. And so I walked out of there, uh, you know, partly satisfied, but but mostly not, because I couldn't find my mother. And so then I decided after that, Dr. Carroll, is that, my mother was young, and she would change her name, and I would never find her. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and that's what my, um, my uh, helper at, at the genealogy center said, that women are really hard to find when they're young because they do remarry and change their names. It makes them impossible to trace. So anyway, I gave up. I gave up for a long time. And, uh, and I put my, my birth certificate you know, in a, in a place that I couldn't remember. And so for 10 years, I, um, I didn't even try anymore. And, and, uh, and one night, we had a family pizza and beer get-together at my daughter's house. And, and don't ask me why, because I, haven't, I hadn't been thinking about it. But before I was getting ready to leave, my wife and I, I asked my youngest daughter, I said, Holly, if you want to give it a try why don't you see if you can find my mother? Hmm. And so she said, well, what was her name again? And I told her. And, and it, didn't take her, it didn't take her but probably five minutes. And, and she said, you know, Dad, the funniest thing, I found somebody living in Lake Oswego, which is a city just 45 minutes from my house. I found somebody that has the same name as your father, which was very unusual. His name was Harold Mote. Hmm. And uh, there aren't very many of those in this country. Yeah. And anyway, she said, I'm going to call up there. Eh. And, and so she did. She did. And the first try, she got their son. And, and so she didn't want to wa- waste the phone call. Uh-huh. And she said, well, um, do you have somebody in your house that had a relative that died in World War II that was named Harold Mote?" And, and this was the son. He was 15 years old. He was the only one at home that night. Hmm. And he said, yeah, I think I remember my dad saying something about that. Well, Holly said that's the clue she needed. So she called there a couple, couple days later and, uh, and talked to who became my cousin and his wife. And they were shocked because nobody ever knew I existed. Huh. Because my mother never told a soul. So nobody... Nobody on either side of my mother's or father's family knew I existed. 
And so when Holly called up there, she was afraid that they would hang up on her because she was yeah. kind of yeah. like a crank call calling out of the blue, you know. And uh-huh. So anyway, she got right to the point and said that uh, her father was looking for his father, and his name was Harold Mote. Well, that was the clue, because my cousin was named after my father. Oh, wow. And that was how we, we got the link to my mother. And so, so that's how we, how we got the connection to where my mother was, and, um, and, and they hadn't contacted my mother because, uh, because on my father's side, when he died, that side of the family kind of lost touch with my mother's side of the family. So they hadn't, they didn't know where my mother lived or if she had any kids or they didn't know anything. Uh So anyway, they called my mother, believe it or not, because, uh, you know, you can call, um, you can, you, you can find, you can trace names on the internet if you have something to start with. And so they found out where my mother was and they called her to find out uh, if if I had any sisters and and uh, oh, oh, how to, wait, how to so it must have been. Um, so so your mother and father ended up marrying each other. I take it. She she ended up marrying my father. And how often does that happen when you're given up for adoption? Yeah. Usually, adoptions are are traumatic experiences for a right. mother for one reason or another, which you know. And, right. and so it's pretty rare to end right. up with your father being married to yes. your mother. Yes, yes. So, but I'm trying to imagine this phone call. So that your cousin, who was on your father's side, called your mother, and, I mean, what? and at that point she was in her early 90s? She, she was. She was 94. Okay, and, and so and I can't, I mean, that they, must have been quite... Quite a shock for her. Well, no, um, to, no, because not, they didn't know why she was to, calling. But wait, wait! Not only to find out that you know that you were looking for her, but here, um, this family member uh, who you know here she hadn't told anybody, and somebody in the family was saying, "I know now, you know, you have you you had a child," and you, you, the whole no. thing must have been just very um, traumatic no, for her. They, they didn't reveal that yet. What they did was, they said, this is Hal Mote calling, which is the same name as her deceased husband. Yes. And she knew about Hal. When he was a little toddler at five years old, he still, she still lived when my father was still alive. Mm-hmm. They still lived in Washington. So she met uh, my cousin Hal Mote, the namesake of my father. Uh-huh. So that was the connection. So when they called down there, they didn't say why they were calling. I see. And my mother was 94, so she was accepting. And so they said, uh, can we have the phone number of your daughter, Jeanette? So she gave it to him. Yeah. And that was the end of the conversation. And, and uh, so they called my sister. And uh, see, I didn't know this was going on yet. Uh-huh. And, and anyway, they called my daughter, Holly, who's the one that found Hal, you know? Yes. And, and, uh, and they kind of revealed what they learned, that I had two 100% full-blooded sisters and, and, uh, and not many adopted siblings 
have full-blooded other siblings. Usually they're half, you know. Yes, yes. And, uh, so that was pretty unique for me. And, and so anyway, one night my daughter gave me a phone call, and, and, uh, and, and Dr. Kill, I'll never forget that phone call. I've got it memorized. She said, Dad, you won't believe this. Huh. We found your mother, and she's still alive, and she's 94, and you have two sisters. Wow. And from that point on, I, I remember nothing. <laughs> wow, wow. That was pretty, pretty uh, earth-shaking for me. But anyway, from there, from there it progressed very rapidly. And, um, but then the next question was, uh, do I contact my mother and let her know that her son that she gave up secretly for adoption uh, has reappeared in her family's life, and she's the only one that didn't know that I had done that. Yes. And so uh, they all kind of put their heads together and said, well, let's think about this for a while, and because uh, we don't want to traumatize my mother. Right. Well, my daughter, the gutsy little girl, that, well, not little, she's married, you know, the gutsy girl that she is, she said, Dad, if you don't write to her, I'm going to. She's 94, and you don't know if she'll be alive in two weeks. Right. And so I'm going to write to her if you don't. Well, how far away did she live from you? She, I live in Salem, Oregon, which is uh, kind of 50 miles from the north, northern border of Oregon and Washington. And she lived in Santa Rosa, which is northern California. It's, it's actually about eight hours away by car. Uh-huh. And so she's a ways away, and, but not that far. Right. And, and so anyway, uh, I wrote her a letter. And, oh, oh, my cousin and my, and my new sister, who I'd become pretty good friends with, we talked on the phone a lot after that first conversation. Uh-huh. And the two of them, my cousin and my sister, said, okay, Phil, you write to her, but be very careful how you do it, because we don't want your daughter to write to her first. So I wrote her a one-page letter, and it took me four hours to write it. I, my yeah. hand was shaking for four hours. Yeah. And I wrote it to her, and, and it started out, uh, Dear Betty, you don't know me. Uh, and, um, and in the first paragraph, uh, I said, You're somebody that I really want to know. And I said, I'm your son. And I, oh, and I said, There, I said it. <laughs> And then I went on and, and explained, you know, about a little bit about my life and my kids and my wife and all that. And so I sent it to her, and I thought she'll. And, and my cousin and my sister said, "Well, she may accept it or she may not." And so a month went by, and I hadn't heard back. And so I'd already resigned myself to the fact that she um, didn't want me back in her life. And lo and behold, after a month, I went to the mailbox, and there was a mail a letter from her. Oh, and wow. If you can imagine how my heart was beating through my chest when I yes. saw that return address. Yes. And, and, and I went in, and, and I told my wife, I said, look what I got in the mail. And we sat down on the sofa together, and I was, I was, I was panicky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, it started out, Dear Phil, and I thought, okay, this is going to be good. And it was. And, uh, and, and it was the greatest letter, and, and of course I still got it. But, 
But anyway, that was the beginning of my introduction to my mother. And um, Now, I do have to interject here, just in case, because there may well be people listening okay. who um, were adopted or who know somebody who was adopted and uh-huh. who also um, is on a search. Um, I, w- <laughs> I would have said that 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 was kind of a risky way of doing it in the sense that... Totally. I mean, I, I, what I mean is, um, writing a letter is fine, but I, I think it would have been better, I mean, <laughs> if, I mean, nothing happened, thank God, but I think it would have been better if you would have sent that letter in another envelope to one of her, like, to, to, to your sister who could then hand-deliver it to your mother. Like, just in case, you know, when she read that, it was a real shock and, and you know, caused her to have a heart attack or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I, I absolutely do, and, and you're right, because since I did that and, and have seen other stories, well, not like mine, but who started out the way I did, most of them had hired an intermediary, and, and the intermediary was the one that talked to the mother first, and it's usually the mother, mm-hmm. because oftentimes the father is long gone if they even know who the father is. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and they're the ones that want to, to verify that the mother is willing to uh, accept uh, a sibling back in their lives. And, and, and the other thing, Dr. Carroll, that I learned, you know, during the past five years is that 90% of the mothers that gave children up for adoption want to reconnect later. Yes. You know, the trauma of what happened in the yes. beginning is long past, and they were like me. You wonder what happened. Where are they? Are they happy yes. and all and healthy? And, and so they, almost all of them, but not yes. all of them. Not yes. all of them. Yes, yes, that's true. It's just that it's just that her being ninety four and all, it just seemed like you know having a be through one of your sisters would have been the safer way. But we need to take another break. Okay. Um, my guest is Philip Klaus, whose book is called Blood Ties. This is a very, uh, very interesting story, and yes, it shows that blood ties are very strong, even even over seventy years. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest is Philip Klaus. His book is called Blood Ties. He's telling us some of the highlights of his story. I mean, uh, there were lots of twists and turns that we obviously can't cover in a whole hour, uh, all of them in an hour, but um, but <laughs> we're getting to uh, the, uh, you know, obviously it took a lot of courage to keep pursuing trying to find his um, biological parents. Um, so you were saying, we left off where you were talking about you had gotten this letter from your mother, your biological mother. Yeah, and... and, um, and- and my my worry was like I was was hinting at was I was afraid what she would say. Yeah. And and uh, but when it started out, dear Phil, and it said the ending ending was, uh, love Betty. I mean love yeah love Betty, and uh, that was that was her name. She didn't say love mom. Her second letter she wrote to me, she ended it, love mom. Uh-huh. And so it, it progressed rapidly, you know, in a relationship of a mother and son, long, uh-huh. and and um, and so anyway. Um, what did she say? What did she write? Well, she she wrote a lot about her life as a single mother, and she uh, explained a little bit about her husband, my father. And and um, and she talked about her jobs as a single mother, and she raised her two daughters herself, and she got uh, a, a tiny little government pension uh, from the military for for their college education, but it was a token uh, scholarship that they got from the military, and she did the rest of it herself, and she. Um, she was bound and determined she wasn't going, to have, wasn't going to have any family helper, so she did it all herself. But, but part of what she went through is that um, while she, she had her two young daughters living with her, her mother and father uh, while her husband was, was uh, in the South Pacific in World War II, mm-hmm. uh, she got word that her husband had had uh, lost his life uh, on the 19th of December, 1944. And, and she saw the, the guys come to the front door, and, and uh, she didn't let on that she knew, because it was just at Christmas time. And so uh, mother, father, and daughter uh, played a game, charades with each other, until after Christmas. And uh, then the truth came out that, that they knew that that the uh, son-in-law and her husband had died. And three months before that, her best friend, brother, died. He was a uh, pilot, fighter pilot in the South Pacific. 
And he was an ace fighter pilot. He had shot down 13 enemy planes and, and was sent back to the States. And he died in the plane crash with, mm. with his wife watching. And then they took her, her youngest daughter, who was eight months old, away from her right after that because they feared she couldn't care for her. So, Wait, I, I'm, I lost you. Well, are you so talking you start, about your mother or are you talking about this other, for her friend? No. So, so my mother gave me away in 1940. Yeah. Then she lost her husband in 1944, and she lost her brother three months earlier, August 1944. And then they took her youngest daughter away from her uh, a, a couple of weeks later, you know, probably the end of December 1944, for two years. And so that's, that's a lot. Because for, why uh, didn't they think? Yes, a lot of loss. Why a, didn't a lot they... of loss, and back in those days there was no such thing as uh, PST and and uh, and helping people, you know, when they were given traumatic news, and right. so she weathered that all herself, and so that's why she kept me a secret. And when my two biological sisters tried to quiz her about our father, yeah, and their her life growing up with our father, she said, "I don't want to talk about it because that brought back traumatic memories." So. Mm. But why did they take away um, her youngest daughter? I mean, why did they think that she wouldn't be able to take care of her because she was so distraught of, yeah. Um, yeah. because of all this loss? But she had her parents. Your mother had her parent, her own parents, right? Well, you help. know what, though? There, you know, if, if you imagine 1944, mm-hmm. it's kind of conservative old school. And, and if, if it's like I remember my friends' parents and my parents' They're, 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 there's a cold side to them, kind of, and, and so they, they, weren't, they weren't really receptive to the loving support that I think a lot of parents would give now, and, and so uh-huh. that's why they decided that uh, mm-hmm. their daughter couldn't care. So, for, okay, so tell us about, but get to the, we're almost out of time, get oh, to the... Yeah. Um, I wanted the, what, the meeting between you oh. and your mother. What was that like? Okay, well, we rode back and forth for eight months. Yeah. And, and finally they told me, they said, we're going to come to Portland and, uh, and we're going to meet you. That's my two biological sisters and our mother. Oh, wow, and, yeah. And the exciting part to me was they said that our mother was really excited to come, you know, uh-huh. after 70 years. Yes. Couldn't wait to meet me. And, and, um, so they came to Portland, and we had a, a meeting place in a very fancy hotel. And um, and and uh, my my uh, oldest sister, that I had lots of phone conversations with, came down mm-hmm. to to meet us mm-hmm. in the lobby. And they took my wife and me up to the room. They were about on the eighth floor. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'll never forget, Doctor Carroll. You know, my walk down the hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the room, my heart was pounding through my chest. <laughs> okay, yes, and I couldn't yes. talk. I couldn't talk. And I'm sitting on the edge of my chair here. And well, well, and and then my sister said, "Well, here we are," and she reached out and opened the door. And you know, usually if you're a guy, you let the the girl go first. And I had right. I had two women with me, my wife and my sister, and so mm-hmm. my sister Jeanette 
opened the door and said, here, Phil, you first. And so I walked through, and there was my mother standing in the back of the room. She's the most beautiful 94-year-old woman you can imagine. And, and uh, she was standing, no cane, no wheelchair, and she, you know, she walked every day. And, and she looked at me, and, and it was kind of a, a mother and son thing that hadn't talked for 70 years, which we hadn't. And we looked at each other, and, and you kind of resonated. You kind of connected instantly. Yes. Because you have that biological, biological connection, even though you haven't hugged or anything. Yes, and yes. And then I was warned before I, before I meet my mother. They said my mother doesn't like to get hugged, and especially huh. by a man, because of, she was so traumatized, you know, hmm. all her life. Yes. And so I said, well, let's wait and see what happens, because I'm, I'm not guaranteeing that. Yes. And the first thing I did is I walked over <laughs> to her, and I gave her a long, long hug. Ah. <laughs> and, of course, I did the same thing when we left four hours later. But, God, and, and, and to describe my feelings, well, were you, are no were, you must have been, there I are was no still... words to describe seeing a mother you didn't even know existed. <laughs> I would imagine you were crying and that she was, too. I had a hard time. I had a hard time, but I had lots of preparation for that. And the other thing is, you know, being 70, I couldn't even believe my mother was still alive. Yeah. And that was one of the other things that I I, I look at as kind of a miracle is that she she was alive for a reason. Tell me she cried. Um, You know what? She's... She's a tough woman because she had survived <laughs> yeah. so much. Yes. And I don't know that she did, but, but I can tell you that, you know, when we went to dinner, she and I shared a dessert, and she and I shared two glasses of wine. She would drink out of my glass. And, and, um, and, and when it was time to go, that's when it got really tough. Yeah. Uh, really tough. We were up in their room, and... And uh, and and we said, well, I guess it's I guess it's time to walk out the door. And and I gave her another hug, even though I knew she didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And, and she she didn't let go. And so she was warming up really fast. Uh huh. And and so you know what? She kept all that suppressed all her life. Well, from yeah. age uh, twenty three, and. Um, when I was born, or 24, and so when I finally reappeared, she realized the, the, the benefit that I was for her. And what I found out, you know, I've been down to visit her I don't know how many times, probably 10 times. Oh, that's and, good. And, uh, and my nieces and nephews and, and, and sisters all have said that they have noticed a huge change Mm. And and my mother, because in the beginning she was not she would not reveal anything personal about her feelings or about her past life. And mm-hmm. since I came along, I let it all hang out, Doctor Carroll. I don't hold anything back ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I never did with her, and she got used to that. Uh-huh. And so now she's doing the same thing. <laughs> and so everybody said that I was, a, I was a catalyst for making her life infinitely better 
when we were fearful in the beginning. And so anyway, you were right when you said the way I went about it was the wrong way. It absolutely was. But but it worked. I mean, I was lucky it worked. Well, that that is a wonderful, wonderful story, especially like I was going to ask you. You mean it seemed like they left, that they were only, when they, their first visit was only very short, but I'm glad to hear that you've been down there so many times. Well, I have, and, and uh, you know, we go out to dinner, we've had reunions, and, 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 um, and my, mother, my, my mother, you know, all the signs that love mom, you know, she doesn't write much anymore because she's 100 years old now mm. and still going strong. I was just down to see her within the last month. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, she's going strong and she, and she's a real kick. She's got a, uh, a humorous personality, a lot of fun to be with. Well, and, this is uh, a, a wonderful, wonderful story. I want to make sure that, um, I have time to, to uh, tell people <laughs> the name of the book again. Um, and you know, it, it really is so many, uh, adoptive kids and, and then adults. Um, are so scared of, uh, you know, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I don't really need to find my biological parents. And certainly, of course, when they're adoptive parents, or they're afraid to hurt the feelings of their adoptive parents and all of that. And yes, it doesn't always turn out as beautifully as you. During the break, I was asking you about your sister and it, her story, her, her look, her search for her parents didn't quite turn out as well as yours. And so, yes, it's not 100% all the time but it certainly is worth it because, I mean, this has just opened up a whole new life, both for you and your mother. Absolutely. And, and, and you can't imagine the psychological feelings of what it's like to look at your mother and know that she carried you for nine months before she gave birth, and she cared enough to save my life and hope that I ended up in a caring family, which I did, and that makes... It makes me look at her and, and, uh, and think so many positive thoughts. And, and, and here's the other thing, Dr. Carroll. When she looks at me, I've, I've been told this by my sisters, mm-hmm. that she looks at me and sees pieces of her husband, yes. you know, her deceased husband in me. Yes. Yes. You know, the looks and, and the way I talk. And, and, um, and so it, it, everything has worked out so beneficially for all of us, all of us. And, and so of course, nowadays, are looking have no reason to fear. Yes, and of course, nowadays it's even e- easier for for people to find their biological. It's not totally easy. It's not a piece of cake. But between the internet and between the laws that you were talking about, getting more relaxed and so on, and ancestry dot com and things like that, um, you know, it is. A little easier, certainly, than it was 70 years ago. You said so, exactly um, the right things. That's true. All of those things you mentioned make it more streamlined now than it, than it was when I started. Yes, and, and you don't have to go snooping through, or as your sister did, snooping through drawers to find little snippets. Well, yeah. unfortunately, we are out of time. But, Philip Klaus, thank you so much for sharing your story. Your book is called Blood Ties. I do encourage all of you who have been listening to this story to get the book because there's a, there are a lot more details in that on this uh, windy, mysterious trail to unlock the mystery. So thank you again, Philip. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 